Hello, everybody. This is Abundant Thinking. Thank you guys so much for stopping by, getting some more knowledge every day, getting smarter. You know how it is. This is our second episode, and this one should be a pretty interesting one. So we are going to be talking about therapeutic journaling, or otherwise sometimes known as trauma journaling. I thought that this episode was going to be a lot shorter, but then when I started to do some research and dig into it, it, it turned out to be very interesting, and I have, we have a lot to go over. So, firstly, I will say that trauma journaling, we're going to call it trauma journaling just for the sake of it, also called therapeutic journaling. Like I said, essentially what trauma journaling is, is a method for people with trauma or PTSD to journal and bring light to their feelings and benefit them extremely positively. We're going to get to all the benefits in a minute. But first, I do want to mention that it is different from gratitude journaling and it's different from diary journaling, if that's what you want to call it. So gratitude journaling is essentially just writing down good things that happen, things you're thankful for, which I've done in the past. I actually really liked it. And I would recommend it to people for sure. And there's diary journaling. Diary journaling is just, you know, same thing as if you have a diary, just writing about your day, writing what happened, how you feel, etc. However, trauma journaling is a lot more intense and harder for people, obviously, that are going through trauma that repress their emotions. So bringing the light back to their traumatic events is not going to be easy. And some of the downsides of trauma journaling is crying, anxiety, holding their breath, and feeling like they ran a mental marathon when they're done writing. So I'm going to first go over a study from Cambridge. Uh, the research comes from Karen A. Bake and K. Wilhelm. So writing about traumatic, stressful, or emotional events has been found to, be, to result in improvements in both physical and psychological health. Participants are asked to write about such events for 15 to 20 minutes on three to five occasions. Those who do so generally have significant better physical and psychological outcomes compared with those who write about neutral topics. We'll get to neutral topics in a second. College students wrote for 15 minutes on four consecutive days about, in quotes, the most traumatic or upsetting experience of their entire lives, while the control group wrote about superficial topics, so things like their room or their shoes. And to add, they wrote about things that don't have opinions, things that are just facts. So, for example, the walls are blue, the ground is white, etc. So not displaying any emotions and also no opinions as well. So just straight facts. They just wrote 15 to 20 minutes on three to five occasions for the control group, just about superficial topics. So participants wrote about their deepest thoughts and feelings reported significant benefits in both objectively assessed and self-reported physical health four months later. With less frequent visits to the health center and a trend towards fewer days out of role owing to illness. So the control participants are asked to write as objectively and factually as possible about the neutral topics, such as a particular room of their plans for their day, without revealing their emotions or opinions, like I mentioned previously. And no feedback was given on their writing. So obviously, as a control group, they were meant to just be able to compare between them and the trauma group. So the immediate impact of expressive writing is usually a short-term increase in distress, which obviously makes sense because you're writing in something that is very emotional and powerful and distress is very common, negative mood and physical symptoms, and a decrease in positive mood compared to the control groups. And this is just short-term, so right when they started writing. Expressive writing participants also rate their writing as significantly more personally 
significantly more personal, meaningful, and emotional. However, at longer-term follow-up, many studies have continued to find evidence of health benefits in terms of objectively assessed outcomes, self-reported physical health outcomes, and self-reported emotional health outcomes. So I'm going to read you guys health outcomes. So the positive from trauma journaling that were found. And it's a pretty big list. <laughs> so fewer stress-related visits to the doctor, improved immune system functioning, reduced blood pressure, improved lung function, improved liver function, fewer days in hospital, improved mood, feeling of greater psychological well-being, reduced depressive symptoms before examinations, fewer post-traumatic intrusion and avoidance symptoms. Then the social and behavioral outcomes were reduced absentees from work, quicker reemployment after job loss, improved working memory, improved sporting performance, higher students' GPAs, which I thought was interesting, altered social and linguistic behavior. And then for another outcome, they just listed medical conditions that might benefit from expressive writing. So lung functioning in asthma, disease severity in rheumatoid arthritis, pain and physical health in cancer, immune response in HIV, hospitalizations for cystic fibrosis, pain intensity in women with chronic pelvic pain, sleep onset latency in poor sleepers and post-operative course. So that was the experiment. I thought that was very interesting how much of an impact it had. And now I want to switch topics a little bit more going towards the brain. And that's the idea of neuroplasticity. This is coming from the Huberman lab. Andrew Huberman, he has an amazing podcast. He's extremely smart, extremely talented guy. And if you find these things interesting, I would more than recommend to go to his podcast and listen because he is extremely smart and you take away so many things from listening to his podcasts. So neuroplasticity is our nervous system's ability to change in response to experience. I'm going to say that one more time, a little bit slower, because this is very important for the rest of the time that we have for this episode. Neuroplasticity is our nervous system's ability to change in response to experience. So one of our nervous system's jobs is to be a predictive machine and make good guesses to what's to come next. And one of the ways to make a good guess is to take a critical period of someone's life, so a child's life, for example, and make a good guess as to what will come next. So as a child, the mere exposure to an experience shapes the brain, not permanently, but it's very long lasting. So this is essentially how we learn certain behaviors. For example, if you're a kid and although pain isn't directly correlated and relevant, but just as for an example, say you're a kid and you touch the hot stove, so you touch it, oh, it hurts you. And you're going to know next time that you're not going to want to touch it unless you want to get hurt again. Obviously, it has to do with pain receptors and how it transitions to the brain, all that. But essentially, our nervous system's ability to change in response to experience. So neuroplasticity allows us to understand how our brain is impacted by different events. And I will also mention, we'll get more into this in a second, but neuroplasticity and the overall way that your neurons change is dependent on strengthening and weakening depending on how often something happens, tstfoundation.org. Neurons change regularly and are shaped by our experiences. This helps adults learn, adapt, and remember. So this is a little bit more into neuroplasticity and mindfulness. So neuro neurons change regularly and are shaped by our experiences. This helps adults learn, adapt, and remember. Every time we experience something new, a new neural pathway forms, and if repeated, it reinforces and strengthens the connections between brain cells. So neuroplasticity happens throughout our lives based on our experiences. 
which either strengthen or weaken, like I mentioned, for strengthen or weaken our neural connections. However, there's a way that neuroplasticity can be harnessed to successfully mitigate the effects of adverse childhood trauma in our adult lives. Let's say this again. There is a way neuroplasticity can be harnessed to successfully mitigate the effects of adverse childhood experiences in our adult lives, and that's mindfulness. Neuroplasticity is our greatest ally when it comes to healing from complex trauma. Mindfulness changes how we process incoming signals from the environment and helps to desensitize our reactions to them. If one practices mindfulness regularly, eventually our hyperattentive amygdala will calm and we will no longer have the classic complex post-traumatic stress disorder response to triggers. So just a little bit more into complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Complex post-traumatic stress disorder, otherwise known as CPTSD. Obviously, you have your post-traumatic stress disorder, which is PTSD. This is the PTSD, the C being complex, can result from experiencing chronic trauma such as prolonged child abuse or domestic violence. It's closely related to PTSD and borderline personality disorder, and CPTSD is manageable with psychotherapy and medication. And I think this is very interesting, the link between psychotherapy helping CPTSD and overall trauma and mindfulness as well, because if we take a step back, psychotherapy, otherwise known as talk therapy, is talking to somebody about these extremely emotional events in your life that you wouldn't have talked about otherwise, and bringing light to the problems and what happened allows you to, in a way, be mindful of what happened, how it happened, and it allows you to form a story. And mindfulness is, or I guess I should say psychotherapy can be a variation of mindfulness since you're talking about it with somebody and you're allowing yourself, which I think is important, allowing yourself to understand what happened rather than it being in your brain telling somebody so you can take out some of that trauma and get help while you're doing it. And through practicing mindfulness, one can learn to remain in the present and our brains will make new neural pathways through mindfulness, which will allow us to remember the calm we find through and it will reduce our anxiety. We learn how to be less hypervigilant and for our mind to be less reactive to triggers than we once were. So like I mentioned, the nervous system being a predictive machine, it becomes a predictive machine by taking your emotional states, your physical surroundings, your perception of who's there, what's there, what happened and how it made you feel. So when you're remembering a traumatic experience, facts about the experience, who was there and what happened, then recounting how the experience made you feel at the time and how it makes you feel now. And finally, links or associations between what happened and anything at all. So this is a mind map. So a good question to ask would be, how is it possible that when you experience traumatic events, your nervous system and other various physiological areas of your body take a toll? So how is it possible that these traumatic events that happen impact your nervous system and other physiological areas of your body? So the answer to this is, when we experience traumatic events, our prefrontal cortex, which for those of you that don't know, is responsible for planning self-concept of who we are, and more importantly, thinking and placing a narrative of what happened in its past, is reduced in its overall activity. So once again, when we experience traumatic events, our prefrontal cortex is reduced in its overall activity, so it's not as active. And the limbic areas of your brains, so the subcortical structures are as well. So they're both reduced in its overall activity. And neuroimaging studies show that when people recount stressful or traumatic events, the prefrontal cortex levels of activities is reduced as compared to when they recall less stressful events. In addition, the subcortical structures ramp up their activity when recalling stressful events, at least at first, 
The repeated visiting of stressful events makes people shift their language when it comes to their feelings and a more coherent narrative structure. People going deeper into the recollection of their trauma perhaps experience heightened levels of distress. However, like we said before, by the fourth writing session, they have a more structured narrative about what happened. Yes, it's distressing, but over time, journaling increases baseline levels of activities in certain areas of the prefrontal cortex, which we know is associated in the improvement of symptoms around trauma and other stressful events. So when we experience these traumatic events, our prefrontal cortex is reduced in its overall activity. So thinking and placing a narrative of what happened is going to be a lot harder because your prefrontal cortex is reduced and it's not going to process all the information as correctly as accurately as you think. And that's why by doing this trauma journaling, over time it increases your baseline levels of activities in certain areas of the prefrontal cortex. So if it increases the baseline of activities, we know that making a narrative and a story of what happened will be a lot more clear and you'll be able to think more directly and not as emotionally, if that makes sense. So neuroplasticity is created when we go into states that are atypical compared to our normal waking states. And one of the triggers is when we have high levels of dopamine, epinephrine, and norepinephrine, which creates a state change called autonomic nervous system shift, where we have elevated heart rate, more distress, higher levels of emotionality, and it's highly uncomfortable. And that signals to the neural tissue that something is happening and we need to rewiring. And that rewiring happens during sleep. So this is extremely important because like I mentioned earlier, neuro neuroplasticity is created when we go into states that are atypical. So when we have a lot of stress, when we have higher levels of emotionality and we are uncomfortable, that's when your brain is rewiring. And although the rewiring of the brain is extremely important in your experiences, when it rewires, you won't be able to think as clearly about not only the story that we said because of the prefrontal cortex's reduction in its overall activity and size. And the fact that these states of autonomic nervous system, or I guess more specifically, these states when you're more distressed and you have higher levels of emotionality are triggers for neuroplasticity. And as we know, the change happens from the neuroplasticity. So we are extremely affected by these traumatic events because while they're happening, our brain is rewiring. So again, this is important because we change the way that we see things. And extremely stressful events, since they produce a relative reduction in the activity of the prefrontal cortex, divorce our minds from creating a coherent structural narrative about what happened in these traumatic episodes. And in doing so, creates a confusion and responsibility. Like we mentioned before, the overall reduction in the prefrontal cortex causes us to not be able to form a narrative, uh, accurate narrative, I should say, 100% accurate, since you're very emotional. When people experience traumatic events, the representation of those events is somewhat fractured in the sense that people not talking about it or creating a narrative around them start to form false correlations between the stress we create in our mind and body when we think about them and a confusion about what happened. A confusion about why we feel terrible when in reality we were not the perpetrator and a lack of coherence in our bodily states and what we are thinking. So. When people accurately and truthfully report an experience, even if it's traumatic and stressful, the repeated activation of the prefrontal cortex during that truth-telling, even though it's about negative experience, has the effect over time of more activity in the prefrontal cortex. And that has a positive effect in the way that 
it has a more coherent framework and understanding of what happened in the stressful situation. I'm sure if you guys have ever been in a stressful situation, you might tell a story about it and think that you're extremely accurate about it since it happened to you. But because of your emotionality, and this is outside of trauma, just if something were to happen to you, I bet you, you form a false, you have formed a false story about what happened and false details. I'm not saying you made everything up, but you might have accidentally thrown in a detail that wasn't actually there. So for example, if I was at school and somebody was to come up to me and start harassing me and making me feel extremely emotional and press me in a way, I might tell the story a little bit differently judging off of my emotions of the event, if that makes sense. So we tend to not form a coherent narrative about the different events and highly emotional events, I should add, that occur in your life. And that's due to the reduction in activity of the prefrontal cortex when things like that are happening. So I thought this was going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, but when I was doing all my research, like I mentioned previously, I knew that this was going to be longer. And if you guys are still listening, I really appreciate it. So I'm going to wrap up now, just ending some final points. Things to highlight, 15 to 20 minutes on three to five different occasions. If somebody listening was to try this out, wanted to try it out, that's usually the range three to five day, three to five occasions, 15 to 20 minutes and see how much of a difference it makes. If you are to try it, if you do, please let me know how it goes. I wish the best of luck. Trauma is a horrible thing. I am lucky enough to not have many things in my life that are causing me distress. I'm, I'm extremely fortunate. I'm extremely lucky. And However, I know not everybody is, and I think some people can really benefit from this. So I hope even one thing I said today was interesting for you guys, or maybe you learned something new, whether it be about neuroplasticity, prefrontal cortex, whatever. I think it's extremely important to know this because if you or somebody you love, maybe a friend is going through something extremely difficult doing this which is not easy at all, I will say. It's extremely hard. Doing this can benefit them very positively. Yeah, and the brain is extremely interesting how everything works. It is extremely powerful, so do not undermine how important the brain is. And I will leave you guys with that. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Abundant Thinking. If you guys have any ideas on episodes in the future, feel free to let me know. And I will see you guys again soon. Thank you.